0: So we've been in Luke, if you've not been here for the past however many weeks, and we've come to a a real crux point of Luke's story. Remember he wrote both Luke and Acts, so it's really only halfway done, but we come in chapter three to the death, the execution, the crucifixion of Jesus, Um, and Luke takes his time over it, and the details he gives us are very significant for us as Jesus' followers today. So let's, let's look at this. And the first thing to notice is that he slows time right down. Earlier in Luke, he's taken a few words, a few verses to describe years of Jesus' life. But here we get pretty much a whole chapter just on the final hours of Jesus' life. And that's why this sermon is called The Hours That Divide the World. And I want you to have in your mind as we go through this today, where do you stand on this Jesus? So if you're there in Luke chapter 23, I think it would be really good for us to take it slow, read the whole thing together. And I'd like you to be imagining yourself in each one of these scenes, picturing Jesus, how he's responding to the situations around him, what he's saying. So let let the image form in your head, and let's read Luke 23 together. Starting in verse 1, Luke 23. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him, that's Jesus, before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, He sent him back to Pilate, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals... if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged rallied at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, For we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed. returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a deep and challenging and serious and yet hopeful scene. We pray and ask for you, Holy Spirit, to come and illuminate the meaning of this passage to us and show us uh, face to face, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, this Jesus, our precious Jesus, hung on a cross in our place, dying for us. Please show us, Lord, what you want us to know about your son, his innocence, his rejection, but our free acceptance and invitation please bless this time and we trust you for the good work of today for your Holy Spirit who's been carrying us through everything since this morning until we go to bed Amen So there's an awful lot here I'm sure we could spend A lifetime series on just the death and resurrection of Jesus and it's endlessly fascinating endlessly encouraging endlessly challenging as well but we're limited by time we're limited by our mortal bodies perhaps we can discuss everything in paradise one day but let's just look at the main things that Luke wanted to draw out the main things that we should see about this Jesus his innocence his rejection and our free invitation So let me ask you something, picture um, a defining moment in your life, something that changed it forever. Was it a, a relationship, was it having children, was it moving away from home, a particular journey you went on, or a particular job that you were in? Something that really changed everything, a defining moment. Can you imagine how your life might look if you never had done that, if that thing didn't come along? If you didn't go through that experience, what would you be doing instead? Maybe it would look very different. Maybe you have no clue. For those of us who happily call ourselves Christians and Jesus followers, dare to imagine what you would be up to if you hadn't met Jesus. That's a challenging question. I, I think for me, in a, on the joking side of things, without Jesus I'd probably just be addicted to energy drinks and video games. And still living like that. But on a more serious note, I think I would be living for very destructive and unhealthy things. And if that's you, if you're a Jesus follower, what would, how different would life be if you hadn't met Jesus? You see, meeting Jesus changes everything. And even the whole world recognizes that Jesus' death in this passage we've just looked at has changed everything. What year is it? Seriously, what year is it? 2021, what does that mean? 2021 what? The whole world agrees that we should count time based on when Jesus was born. And some people don't even know hardly anything about Jesus. But clearly the calendar thinks it's important enough to judge time since his birth. And we believe that his birth, death and resurrection have pierced history and changed the course of history. Let's look at why. Where do you stand on the death of this man? Where do you stand on Jesus? So in the first section, we've got this back and forth, these trial scenes where the authorities over Jesus, we've got Pilate, Roman governor, we've got Herod over um, Judea, and, and these are the men who are in the positions to release Jesus. These are the men in power, these are the authorities who the Jews have brought Jesus to for their sentencing, We know that the Jews are up to their trickery at this point. They want Jesus gone. They want him dead. He's been causing too much trouble. So what do we expect of our authorities? What do we expect of justice? Do we expect to see an innocent person who is not guilty of the charges go and face prosecution, go to prison, go and be killed? We don't expect that. And what is Luke really trying to emphasize for us? Six times across this entire narrative, we see the innocence of Jesus declared three times by Pilate himself, who ends up doing the sentencing, once by Herod, a criminal and a centurion. These people all recognize that this man, Jesus, really has done nothing wrong. He wasn't guilty. He shouldn't have been in the place he was in. Was it a question of wrong place, wrong time? Was it just the evil of man winning that day? Well, if you're willing to take the story take Jesus at his word that he hadn't done anything wrong, then you have to ask, why? If he says in verse 3, yes, are you the king of the Jews? It was asked to him, and he said, you have said so. And in the Gospel of Mark, we get just a plain yes, I am from Jesus. If Jesus is saying, actually, I've done nothing wrong, and I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the king of kings, then we have to ask, why on earth would he let himself get in a position like this? Why on earth would he get himself completely overtaken by the evil desires of man? Sentenced, beaten, crucified. Well, you see, that was exactly the plan. And as we read in Isaiah 53, he was fulfilling scripture. It was Jesus who was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth, and there was no deceit in his mouth. This was all the plan beforehand. You see, something needed to take the place to satisfy God's justice. Something needed to change, so that broken, fallen humanity could have right relationship with each other, so that we could love each other like we properly should, and so that we could recognize and love our Creator as we properly should. There's so much irony in this account that the people who should have been recognizing Jesus, the Jews who should have been thankful that their Messiah had come to restore all things, they actually chose to kill the Creator. They actually chose to sentence Him and reject Him. You see, it had to be a man. It had to be Jesus Christ who was crucified. No one can make up for all of their own mistakes. Can we even be honest about all of our own mistakes? Do we know the true extent of the sinfulness of our hearts? It needed to be the perfect lamb, the unblemished, innocent sacrifice of God, the Son of God, Jesus himself, And so he submitted, he was obedient to the will of the Father, and he loved us to sit through this fake trial, to sit through the accusations, to take the beatings, to take this path to the cross. It was to free us, and it was in obedience. So how come people did not recognize this? What were they looking for? Why did they reject Jesus? You see, in this next section, after trumped up charges, miscarriage of justice, we see pretty much all men rejecting Jesus. Three times, we see he's mocked, made fun of, jeered. The crowd, centurion, uh, the soldiers, they're all making fun of him, saying, if he really is this person who he's supposed to be, if he really is a king, if he really has power, well, why isn't he doing something about it? Why isn't he getting off that cross? Why isn't he using that power to destroy us and take his vengeance? Why would he be letting this happen? He's not who we thought he was. We don't believe him. And we get this picture, don't we, of this man Barabbas. Verse, verse 18. Who had been th- thrown into prison for insurrection and murder... He was just maybe a political activist fighting for Jewish freedom from the Romans. And the people, in their ignorance, in, in their blindness, in their hardness of hearts, they see the perfect, sinless sacrifice, God who showed up in flesh and said, no, give us a murderer instead. Give us Barabbas. Give us a bandit. That's the place they were in. But that is also... So true of us. You see, no one, none of us have naturally wanted to follow God. None of us have naturally decided, yeah, I need Jesus. I'm not that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite bad of a person. Whoever comes to that conclusion on their own and sees that they need a saviour, instead it takes love to bring us into that love. And so G- Jesus in the place of death and the released murderer really is you and Jesus, really is me and Jesus. How that man's life might have changed as a result of going free, we don't know, but he knew it was thanks to one man. He knew it was thanks to Jesus that he was not dying that day. And that's the same for us. But there's more to be said about this rejection of Jesus, even though he came to satisfy the payment for sin. We see in his interaction with the with the women who were mourning and lamenting for him, verses 28 and onwards, that even in Jesus' greatest, darkest moments of oppression and suffering, he's not just crying out in in anguish, in anger, in wrath, uh, in vengeance. He's taking the time to make sure these women who are crying for him know what the true situation is about. You see, Jesus' words here that if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? He's, he's using a phrase to explain that if if you crucify the Messiah, if, if the guiltless one is here and you treat him like this, then what's going to happen when you are without the king among you? What's going to happen when you're left on your own and you haven't got your saviour around anymore? It's it's similar to when the 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 Jewish elite accused Jesus and his followers of uh, not praying enough, not fasting enough. And Jesus said, well, the bridegroom is with them currently. Let them do those things when the bridegroom is away. So Jesus is challenging people's perceptions of what the worst thing is. The worst thing is not just Jesus dying and suffering this injustice. The worst thing is not believing that. The worst thing is rejecting Jesus' rejection, which was for you then judgment is what's going to come. Judgment came on the nation of Israel. There's judgment for you and I. But that, thankfully, is not what the focus of this is on. The focus is on the beauty of the traded places of Jesus, for you and me, on that cross. It does need to be said, that rejection of Jesus brings judgment. But what he's achieved for us, what he's gained back from the enemy and from the evil of man is our acceptance before God. You see, he makes up for all the sins of the world. And if we're believing these words about Jesus, if we're believing his desire to die, his innocence, his kingliness, his divine nature that he was God, then it doesn't leave room for us to stay in the middle. It doesn't leave room for relativism or to have your own made-up ideas about Jesus. It's very black and white. He was innocent, he was rejected, and he's God's son. Or you don't believe him. It's as simple as that. But if you are in that place of believing him, if you are investigating this Jesus then the most important thing to see is what his death wins for us is that acceptance and forgiveness of sins turns to invitation now let's go to what is probably my favourite section my favourite passage here let's look at Jesus and his interactions with the criminals and let's talk about paradise So whilst he's hanging there, we see in this final section, in Jesus' last moments, as a human on this planet, in incredible pain and anguish, in the agony of crucifixion, being nailed there and just dying slowly. He prays in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is such a powerful prayer, that is such a bold and compassionate prayer. He really is praying for his enemies in that moment. He really is praying for those who came to kill him. But it's such a hopeful thing for us. Who knows how many people who were there witnessing Jesus' crucifixion, who knows how many of those who were complicit in his death actually went away and were changed by this very prayer, who went away and repented, who saw the miracles to come. And the church that would explode from this moment. And this prayer of Jesus was heard. This prayer of Jesus was answered. Whenever we repeat it, whenever we share it, all the people ever since that moment who've come to faith is a result of Jesus' prayer, forgive them. You see, we can be forgiven because Jesus chose to stay there and he didn't abuse his power and he didn't get off the cross like the people joked that he should You see, the basis of our forgiveness, the basis of our acceptance is because of Jesus' intercession. Jesus is praying for us, even now, and Jesus' finished work covering over all our sin. It is an amazing grace that no one is too far gone to be saved. It's never too late to be saved. And this is what Jesus was achieving. This is why he stayed there. This is who we are. Follow, love, and believe. This is who changes our life, is Romans chapter 5, 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Luke has been building to. That is the joyous apex of the narrative, the resurrection to come, and Jesus hung on a cross in our place, dying for those who would reject him, dying in innocence, but dying, showing God's forgiving and loving heart towards his people. There's no wrath, anger, or vengeance left to be poured out on those who accept this free invitation because Jesus has taken it all away. Let's look at this invitation with all the work that has been done for us, with nothing that we can do or bring. What does Jesus say to the two criminals? Verse 39. Have you ever noticed that they ask the same question, actually. They both ask in a roundabout way to be saved by Jesus. The first one, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The second one, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So do you think they were both saved? Do you think they both were with him in paradise that day? Well, only one was. Jesus told the second criminal you will be be with me in paradise. What was the difference? They were asking for the same thing. The difference we see very clearly in the second criminal was his humility. He recognized he should be there. He wasn't just trying to get out of his troubles. He wasn't trying to blame someone else like criminal number one. He recognized we are under this sentence justly. We are receiving the reward for our deeds So that really is the first place to start. For us Christians, however long we've been following Jesus, for those of you who don't call yourself Christians, the first thing is a spirit-filled recognition of our rubbishness before God. We are deserving that place, and we couldn't do anything to make up for it. But we're never left there. The second criminal extends his faith, and he Begs Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, he recognizes Jesus as a king because he's coming into his kingdom in power. Does he fully know what he's asking? Does he fully understand or realize salvation, uh, resurrection, heaven, the new heaven and the new earth? Probably not. We don't understand half of that either, do we? What what could he actually offer? Could Could he be baptized? Could he do certain works and acts? No, all he could do was hang there and open up his heart to recognize the truth of Jesus and his need for Jesus and the desire to be with him and be remembered by him. You see, that is beautiful. That is the heart of the Christian faith. Is a loving and forgiving God has taken it all away. And he doesn't just want you to live how you want. He wants you with him. He wants you intimate with him and that's why we get this amazing response these words are such an encouragement such a joy and so fascinating to me Jesus's words truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise if, if I could really I'd want to spend the whole sermon on just this it's, it's everything you could need it's, It's the heart of God. It's his loving forgiveness. It's his desire to pull us back in close relationship to him. It's all the theology you could need. You go to paradise as soon as you pass from this world. Don't need to know anything else. That's great. I'm, I'm done. I'm saved. Wonderful. Forget about all the other stuff. And it means there's so much hope for all the people who we know in our lives. There's so much hope that anyone, right up until their last breath, can cry out for mercy Seeing Jesus for who he is, depending on where you stand on this Jesus, he's inviting you. Let's think a little bit more about this idea of paradise. Is that just? Is that a place? Is, is that like the best holiday you've ever taken with, with food and drink, all-inclusive and wonderful weather? It's not really about a, a place, actually. That, that word paradise, in the Jewish mind... That's the word they used when describing the Garden of Eden in the Old Testament. So their mind would be cast back, oh, paradise. So, like when God's people walked with him in the garden, when they had fellowship, when they had perfection, when they had joy and bliss, and nothing was wrong. That's exactly what they thought of when they thought of paradise, being with God in amazing beauty and perfection. But even more than that, it is... um, I understand a word from the Persian language, and when a Persian king wanted, one of his, wanted to do one of his subjects a very special honour, he would invite them to be a guest, a companion of his garden. It would just be the king and his chosen honoured guest, and they would walk around the private, special, secret garden of the king. You see, more than just um, endless life, more than just immortality is offered here. It's a better Eden and it's companionship with our King Jesus in the courts of heaven forever. The important word in Jesus' response isn't paradise, actually. The important thing in his response is with me. Because this is our God and this is our Jesus. The source of all true joy and the source of all things good. There's lots more to say, really. <clears throat> and just briefly, we see in this final picture, verses 44 to 49 on the death of Jesus. It says in verse 45 that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You see, that, that was um, the... The barrier between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple. That was the place where you would enter the very presence of God in the Old Testament system. And that was the place that was only accessible <clears throat> by one high priest on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And the rest of the time, it would kill you literally to go in there. But with that t- curtain torn, it is a beautiful picture of presence of God going out to all the nations no longer the barrier of sin no longer just a certain group of people but actually now anyone who's willing to repent and believe along with the criminal and paradise with Christ is yours so as we move to a time of communion I'd really just like to read through some lyrics of a song a worship song that has been encouraging me and helping me with these truths this week and I'd like us to take it slow just like Luke's account on this death just like our lives with Jesus just like all the time in the world to come in paradise let's take it slow and meditate on what this means for us where do you stand on this Jesus you'll see the l- lyrics on your screen He was born a babe, virgin birth. My God, the high and lofty one, you came to earth to be a slave, servant of all. You washed my hands, you took my fall. Though you were rich, you became poor, that you would die, that I might live. You poured out your soul, Even to death, taking my sin just to forgive me. Then they led you down the road to a hill called Calvary. You took the nails in your hands and feet. You drank the cup of wrath that was reserved for me. Laid in the ground a stone-cold tomb. The wrath of God resting on you. You knew no sin Yet sin became, from the foundation you are the lamb who was slain. Up from the grave you rose again, you hold the keys of death and hell, you've conquered sin, you paid my debt a costly price, and I know that I will be with you in paradise. Is this your Jesus?